You're listening to the Austin Blanco podcast, and I'm your host, Austin Blanco. Um, today, I wanted to talk a little bit about work. It's been interesting just having conversations with friends over the last few days. Um, the number of people who feel trapped in a job, feel like they have more to contribute, uh, but aren't able to, or people that just don't know how to take the next step in pursuing a passion or interest. Uh, it's it's fascinating to me how many of these, I think, how many people fall into the same situation of having a desire to do something different, maybe do something more, but really not knowing where to begin. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about that. I guess what I find the most interesting is that people see work, first of all, from a financial perspective. Um, and second of all, they tend to see work from a binary perspective. So I guess the first thing I want to talk about is the idea that you unlink the amount of income you know you need for the immediate purposes of your life. Uh, unlink that and also unlink... Um, the idea that you have to do exactly what you envision doing or feel is the right the right thing that you want to do, uh, you kind of unlink that from being binary. So first, let's break down this idea of how how to make enough money. Of course, it would be insane to say that like you know, well, I don't really care how much money I make. Well, no, no one thinks that, right? I mean, of course, you need to make enough money to pay for uh, you know apartment, house, uh, obligations for debt, things like that. And of course, in a perfect world, you'd have enough excess money to be able to uh, enjoy entertainment and all these other things. But there's this idea that if you can't cook up, an, uh, a, let's say, a business plan, or if you can't find a way to generate that exact amount of money in a, in a career change, that then means that this career change is invalid. And I don't think that that's accurate. I think, at least in my experience, that it's never a bad idea to start small. So first of all, let's assume for a minute that you're in a uh, five-year, 10-year-long career. So maybe you're in your, your early to mid-30s, you've been doing something for quite a while, maybe you went to college for it, and you're starting to feel like, you know, I really don't, I don't know if this is the right or the best career for my skill set or interests at this time in my life. And so there's this tension because you feel like on one hand, I can't leave my current job because I have obligations and bills and all these other things. And on the other hand, if I stay in my job, I'm going to be bored out of my mind or I'm not going to fulfill what I believe is this purpose. And, but there's this, there's this inability to reconcile these two situations. So if we take a step away, though, how did you end up in your first job? Maybe maybe you went to uh, college to get a degree, but the degree was a broad ticket into some job. But then you got the first job, and my assumption is, of course, that you made less money than you're making now. Well, so why can't it be that way for a second job or a second career? And so I think if it's possible to separate or break down this this principle, it would be that 
there's nothing wrong with sticking your toe in the water in a different field or a different industry to see what's going on without committing. And this is kind of the way I like to do a lot of different things. Like I'll dabble in, hey, I want to try to make this product, right? And then I go and try to make the product and I find out that I suck at it. And I also find out that I don't really know the market. And I also find out that there's a lot of other competitors, but I learn a lot of stuff along the way and then decide, you know what? That was not a good, (laughs) that was not a good idea. I don't want to make a product in this industry. I've learned a lot and I'm going to button that up, call it a tuition payment on my knowledge and let that die, let that vision die. But if I never attempted to make the product in the first place, if I never allowed myself to go down that avenue, I always in the back of my mind would have been thinking, what if, what if, what if? So let's say you're working in corporate accounting, but in the back of your mind, you say, you know, I really think that, you know, I could start up a a business, um, selling tacos with a mobile taco truck. Okay. Or maybe it's a espresso truck, right? So the first thing you think is, well, the only way for me to validate whether or not this is going to work is if I procure a mobile food service truck and then go and do it. But that's not technically, uh, accurate, I guess. So one way to think about this is first of all, can you make good enough coffee using whatever stuff you have, or maybe you buy a low-grade espresso machine as a small investment, teach yourself how to make coffee, and then start looking at the cost aggregates, right? So let's say I buy an espresso machine. Okay, can I run it off 110? Let's say I can, all right. So maybe I need a generator or I borrow a buddy's generator, and I take it to a family function or some social function where parents are already uh, hanging out doing something like maybe a baseball game or a soccer game and you bring this thing out and you hook it up to the back of a generator and maybe you charge the straight cost and you start figuring out exactly how to make coffee for a lot of people well did you lose your job to do that well no right did you what did you sacrifice well there's an investment in the espresso machine there's an investment in grabbing the friend's generator and learning how to do all that and the material cost for the coffee and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, purchasing cups. But along the way, you're learning all sorts of really valuable lessons related to how to produce this thing that you want to produce. And so you're basically purchasing an education and you're purchasing an internship in your own envisioned work field And that is the least expensive way of finding out whether or not this is something you would really enjoy doing. Let's look at another example. Um, I have several acquaintances that have said to me in the past, you know, I want to work on airplanes. Okay, so what can you do to work on an airplane? Believe it or not, um, any airplane owner would say, hey, come help me change a tire, you know, or... Uh, help me change the oil, right? These are all things that are approved under FAA um, allowance for pilots to do. And pilots can, you know, work alongside someone else. They can uh, do the work and the other person can hand them stuff. And that gives you an exposure into that world. And you might say, you know, hey, I, you know, I like airplanes, but the idea of turning wrenches on airplanes versus the reality of where it's hot and 
you're covered in oil and dirty and, you know, um, probably bleeding on something, (laughs) uh, that reality is not, not what you had in mind. And you find out, I don't want to do this. Well, what did it cost? It cost a weekend or a day, half a day with a friend. And that's not really a, a loss, a loss amount of your time anyway, because you got to have a great experience hanging out with your friend. So I think in a lot of these things, it's really easy to, in a way, allow ourselves an excuse to fail by making up reasons why we can't try in the first place. And I know that's a hard philosophical position to take, but I do think that it's true in, in a way either allow your dreams to be dreams and then decide, um, you know, hey, for this dream, it's not appropriate that it continues to survive, and so I'm going to allow it to be at rest. Other dreams, though, the right, to me, the right thing to do is to honor that dream and allow it to go where it's going to go. And for an example, that's kind of why I started doing this podcast is, you know, I have this vision of allowing other people that I know who I find to be very unique, interesting, and special people, um, allow them an opportunity to share what they've learned and their stories, their backgrounds, especially some of these people that may not be around much longer. Um, I find their stories and their, their walks and adventures to be just absolutely fascinating. And so, all right, I have this vision to start a podcast. What does it take? Well, what's my minimum viable investment, right? Well, i got to buy a couple of microphones and hook them up to my laptop and figure out how to publish stuff to, to iTunes. Okay, so I'll just start walking down that direction and put the time in, make minimum investments where necessary and see where it goes. And that's exactly what I'm doing with this podcast. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if it will grow to, I guess, reach the, the amount of people that I would hope that it would reach. But what am I going to do, you know, drop $200,000 of home equity or something into uh, taking the time to forecast out some number of podcasts? That's crazy. No, I mean, I can't even do that, right? So no, the, the more reasonable approach to take is take a step forward and see where it goes. And I think that the opportunity to do that in almost every venture or every envisioned business idea, that those opportunities exist, they're there, you just have to kind of figure out the puzzle. You just got to figure out how to de-risk and um, de-cost the first investment of the puzzle. And hey, you know, if you invest in the wrong way, or you buy the wrong first espresso machine, or whatever it is, that's okay. You know, it's okay to learn what you don't like about your first tool, and then buy another later. And I think, I think people get a little too concerned with making the wrong choice and should be looking at the, fa- the fact that y- you need to make a choice. Even if it's the wrong choice, just make it and go with it and see where it leads. Oftentimes, where it leads cannot be found without making the poor choice in the first place. And so you may as well make it and not worry about it and just keep moving forward. Um. Okay, so that's one thing. The second thing is this idea of, I guess, um, the financial objection. So, I, again, let's go to the espresso analogy. We could also go to, um, 
you know, I, well, I don't know. There's a lot. So let's stick with that one because it's in my head. Um, I know that if I were to try to build up an espresso truck business, I would be at a net loss for at least the first six months. But I'd make more than zero profit against nothing for the first six months, right? So what I mean by that is I have to go buy this, that, and the other thing, right? Again, let's just say we buy the machine and we borrow our buddy's generator. Maybe we sell our coffee at a discount to our friends and family just to learn the process for the first couple times that we bring coffee out. But pretty soon, I'm going to start to have a handle really well on how much it costs to buy things, how much it costs to transport things and you know put gas in the generator or keep the milk cold or whatever I have to do. And before long, I'm going to have a pretty tight handle on the cost baseline to produce this coffee. And as a result, I can now accurately forecast uh, my incoming materials requirements, um, any certifications or documentation I need to have, licensing, stuff like that. And I can budget for that. I can create a, a basic budget of costs for this business. Now, against that, I'm also going to have the amount of output I can produce in a given time. So, you know, I go to the game, the soccer game, I sell 10 coffees per game. So now I know that in half an hour or an hour, I can produce 10 coffees. Maybe I know I can produce a lot more, but I only sell 10. But I'm starting to learn all this information. And as I'm learning this information, I'm feeding it back into the business. And that's a really powerful thing. And that's the thing that can scale. So early on, the trick is to understand that you need to collect that information and take the opportunity to use it. But in the longer timeline, you know, that learning how to think in that way allows you to generate what is called, oftentimes called a cash engine, meaning you build a business that's sustainable at producing profit, uh, cash profit. And then that cash can be uh, reinvested into the business or scaled and invested into employees, uh, which then allow the business to scale. So all of this stuff can become net profitable. Of course, that assumes that your business model justifies it. Your coffee's good enough. You know where to go to get the, the market. There's always risks. There's always setbacks or unforeseen costs or all three. Or you get in a car crash with your coffee truck you know, and have to go fix it up. Um, but the risks are there in anything you do. I think, um, well, I guess the first thing is on the money issue, just to button that up. Um, no, the vision should not be that you're going to replace your existing income, especially as a W-2 worker. Um you know, day, day one, month one, week one, maybe even year one. To me, the proper understanding is that you're, you're conducting your own experiment to figure out whether you like it and how much money you think it can produce. And that's another huge aspect. Um, you may find out that the only way for you to produce a profit is if you have three espresso trucks and you learn that by doing a couple sales rounds, you know, with the, with the soccer team. Okay. 
So now we figured out that the only way for me to scale is to have two other employees. And then you might decide, well, that's not worth the upfront investment for me to take. Okay. So that you've now learned everything you need to learn. You're not willing to put up the investment upfront or you can't, you don't have the financial means to do so. So then let that idea die. If that's a large enough objection to the business model that you don't want to continue doing it. On the other hand, maybe you look at it and go, yeah, you know, I'm going to have to put in 60 hours a week, but I think I can make this thing work. Okay. So now you have a choice. You have a choice to do that. And you know how much money you can expect to bring in. So I think I think that allows the next uh, the next item or, or subject matter, which is the the question of value or the question of um, I don't know how to put it. Work is not just about money. Now, that might seem like an obvious or maybe even somewhat unfair statement because, you know, you might, if a cynical person like me would say, well, if work's not about money, then why don't you work for free, right? And then, of course, the answer would be, I don't, I don't want to work for free. Okay, so then work is about money. So maybe I should correct and say work is not only about money. And this is something that drove me when I was trying to decide, uh, whether or not to start my own business and there was for me one key aspect that that had high value and I wanted to retain that aspect it was more important to me than money in the short term that fundamentally was freedom freedom to choose how I directed products freedom to choose how I treated customers freedom to choose who I worked with and freedom to choose where I worked and how I worked. The price of freedom for me was a loss in dollar amount income for the first four years of my business, uh, early on to a severe degree. But the freedom gained was worth far more than every dollar I earned or that I had lost. And so... Part of, the, part of the equation you have to do, the math you have to do uh, with your spouse, in your head, with your kids, is what are the things that we hold most valuable and how does this decision affect those things? And I think for different people, those things will, will be unique, right? For me, they meant a certain set of things. But for other people, they might be, hey, time with the kids, the ability to go to, maybe there's a soccer game you want to go to, but... You work in an industry that requires that you are not around on Saturday morning with your family. And so maybe that thing that you're looking for is how do I get that time on Saturday morning to go to the soccer game with my kids? So it's not that money has no influence at all in deciding what to do for a business or deciding what to do for a career. It's more that um, money is only one aspect and I think it's important not to lose sight of that reality. So the other thing I guess that I maybe overstepped is that this doesn't have to be just related to starting a business. It can be related to changing career paths as well. Everyone that I've interacted with likes to tell me about their daily life. So if I have an idea 
or a desire to learn about any career field. All I have to do is go find somebody working on that career field and ask them to tell me about what they like and don't like in their work. And generally speaking, they're going to tell me. They're going to share with me probably more than even they would expect to share. And it, it's just incredible. I've, I can't say that I've ever found a situation where somebody reacts negatively to me asking them to help me understand what their daily life is like. And so there's really no reason not to investigate these things if you have a desire, if you have an inclination that this is what you're supposed to be doing. And for people that might not have the means or ability to, you know, simply drive over somewhere or to, to you know, get themselves in front of the right people, I would look at trade associations, uh, product demonstration shows where you know these kind of people will be. Oftentimes those shows are free to get into for the exhibits, um, assembly meetings or association meetings, things like that. And, uh, you know, that takes a little bit more legwork, but you can do it at a very, very low budget and it'll provide you exposure and opportunity to see the culture of where you're thinking of working. So I hope, um, I don't know, I hope this brings encouragement to some people. If you're wrestling with this question of what do I do for work or how do I start investigating what I want to do for work, um, you know, let me know. I get in touch. I'm curious to find out how people address these challenges from their particular situations. Um, and also just to know whether or not people see things the way that, or in a similar way that I see them. I know that um, I've had opportunities in the past to envision things this way. And it's very powerful because you start to realize I'm never truly stuck. I always have a choice. I always have an opportunity uh, where to go. I have an opportunity where to spend my attention and focus. So then the question is just, what do I want to spend my attention and focus on? And that's a very powerful thing because it means I'm not stuck. So I think that's it for today. Probably I would get tired of listening to my self-talk. So I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, we'll be back soon with an interview from a really interesting character, gentleman that is uh, 83 years old, flew for TWA, uh, is an aviation mechanic and airworthiness inspector, as well as a uh, friend of mine out at the airport, um, and also just an all-around amazing, hardworking, honest, and cool guy. So looking forward to sharing that. Uh, probably in the next week or so, I'll get that podcast up. This has been an episode of the Austin Podcast. If you have questions or would like to reach out and get in touch with me you can find me at my website uh, austinblanco.com you can also reach me at my corporate website which is advancedresearchconsulting.com thank you